Welcome back to Halford and Bruff here, Sportsnet 650. I'm Jamie Dodd, and I am led to understand that now joining me on the line the one, the only, Thomas Trance. <laughs> Trance, are you there, buddy? Yeah, I hear that I, laugh. I am. I hear that I laugh. Am. I'm, I'm enjoying, too, that music. My goodness. Yeah, it's that was like good. Ethereal, but also jazzy. All right, that's uh, that's what I need to get me ready to to join you. So uh, let me let me let me. I know I know we got Batch waiting. Actually, let's bring Batch in and then I'll tell the story. All right, all right. Uh, well, hold on, hold on. I got to do some reads here first. But, okay. Uh, the official automotive sponsor of Halford and Bruff is the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today in this hour of Halford and Bruff. Brought to you by Campbell and Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell and Pound. Visit Campbell-Pound.com today. Of course, we're coming to you live from the Kintech studio. And I should also say, get your What We Learn submissions in with the ticket emoji because we have a pair of tickets up for grabs uh, to the Canucks versus the Sharks on December 27th going to the best What We Learned submission. So get them in now, and we will welcome Brendan Batchelor, voice of the Canucks here on Sportsnet 650, onto the line. Uh, Batch, thanks for doing this. I hate to do this to you right away, but apparently Drance has a story he wants to tell both of us <laughs> off the top here. If he wants to take some of my airtime, he can have it. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys, so it was three night or two nights before Christmas. <laughs> uh, so, look, I'm coming to Niagara Falls to spend Christmas with my in-laws. So I'm joining you remotely, Jamie. And I mean, this has been wild. Like this has been the most Christmas 2022, 12 to 16 hours for me that I've ever had. So obviously we know what the storm in Vancouver did to YVR. Mm -hmm. My my flight was supposed to leave at 4 p.m. And and when Cam Barra, our, our station manager, asked me if I was available to host uh, the the rest of this week in, in uh, replacing in spelling Halford and Bruff, I said yes, but Thursday let's put that in pencil because I'm a little worried about my travel plans and I probably undersold it. Uh, honestly, the airport wasn't too chaotic, but but there was just nothing anyone could do to help you. Right? Um, it was a five and a half hour delay <laughs> getting out of Oof. out of Vancouver, getting out of Vancouver, and then. So my in-laws, who I'm supposed to stay with, who are, or I was originally supposed to stay with, um, they ended up getting COVID, right? Classic. Oh, so we're, we're scrambling. We're scrambling yesterday afternoon, not just to navigate the airport, but also to change our plans. And then there's a storm on this end, right? Like the NHL's canceled both games that were supposed yep. to be played in Toronto on Friday, including, of course, the Lightning Sabres game, which we were going to go to as a family. <laughs> <laughs> following following uh, a dinner at a, at a, a, a Parm House, a new, a new trendy Italian restaurant, which, of course, we've also scrubbed. And, uh, and so this storm's coming in basically like starting this afternoon and my plan was originally to be in Toronto for a couple days. And as I was reading more about it, I was like, look, we're, we're going to get stuck. We're going to get, we're going to fly to Toronto. We're going to get out of Vancouver if we even do. Cause until I was on the plane, I wasn't certain that I was, and we're going to be stuck an hour and a half away from your parents' place. Like this isn't going to work. So scrambled. Anyway, I arrived in Niagara Falls finally. After a, after a lengthy travel ordeal um, about about twenty minutes ago, so my apologies, <laughs> my apologies, but I have in fact arrived. It's not quite going to be the Christmas that I expected. I'm charging all my electronics and just hoping we have power throughout. 
Um, so I guess I guess we'll have to put my availability for tomorrow's show, perhaps. Very <laughs> game yeah. time decision. Yeah, we, we might have to put that on paper, too. I'm minute to minute at the moment, boys, <laughs> much less day to day. So, hey, we're Merry gl- Christmas to everybody. Yeah, we're glad to have you on for now, at least. And as Tim texts in, he says that cackle at 8 a.m. is terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, I, it's early for the cat. I said off the top that. of the show, I was expecting you to like burst in mid segment, just like with some hot Will Borgen takes ahead of the Seattle Kraken matchup tonight. Like the Kool Aid Man coming yes, through a wall. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> just, you know, I love me some Will yes, Borgen. Let's I go. Do. I sure do. I sure do. All right, we'll get this back on the rails. It's Alfred and Bruff with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drads. Brendan Bachelor, the voice of the Canucks on Sportsnet 650, joins us now and. You know, Batch, I was kind of saying earlier in the show, it, it's I've been tracking the drama of this season compared to the drama of last season and kind of, you know, how it matches up at this time of the calendar. And it's pretty remarkable to think back to a year ago. We were full on into the Boudreaux bump, right? The eight-game winning streak when he took over, and there was a real sense of optimism and and, and hope around the team. And you look at what's happening right now, and after the latest 5-1 loss in their last home game, you know, two more games uh, before the Christmas break, it's really difficult to find any sort of that spark of positivity, you know, from fans, from the players around the Canucks right now. Yeah, it, it you know, it's amazing that a season as eventful as last year may yet be eclipsed by the yep. events of this season, which if you had told me that coming into this season, I wouldn't have believed you because last year felt like an eternity in terms of, you know, I was talking to someone, you know, in the summer and it was like, all oh, right, you know, yeah, all that stuff with Travis Hamannick happened last season. It felt like it was five years ago. Uh, and and that was, you know, the start of last season where, you know, Hamannick came in and, and then wasn't a part of the team and, and then gradually worked his way through. And that was just one small thread of a storyline of everything that happened last year. And yet, here we are, you know, just a few days before Christmas at the end of 2022, and you look at everything this team has gone through this year and all the off-ice storylines and the Miller extension and the Horvat rumors and the Besser rumors and, and all of that, and it feels like it's setting the table for what could be one of the most eventful calendar years that we've seen in recent times for the Canucks in 2023 with you know this core likely to be separated or, or changed to a certain degree. And, you know, it's you're right in saying that with the way the team has been playing lately, with the lack of consistency, with the back to back disappointing home ice performances that, you know, there there isn't a lot of feeling of optimism outside of the organization and inside that dressing room. Guys are getting pretty frustrated, too. You know, Bo Horvat, after the game the other night, basically said to us, like, I don't have any more answers for you guys. It just keeps happening. And uh, and Luke Shen called it a terrible performance. And these are your, you know, your veteran guys who stand in there every game who usually always say the right things. And they're clearly at a very high level of frustration right now. So uh, it's not just in the fan base. It's within the organization, too, that, you know, they're they're at a loss as to why they they can't string some games together here. What are you expecting from the Canucks tonight, Batch? And I know it's hard to handicap, particularly given that we haven't seen Elias Pettersson on the ice with this team in in about a week. Uh, are Are you concerned by his, you know, increasingly, like it feels a little bit unexplained at this point, an illness 
a non-COVID illness lasting this long. Uh, do you think we see him? Do you think we see him at morning skate? Do you think we see him play? Do you have any indication? I don't have any indication in terms of, you know, insider info or anything like that. I leave it to the pros like you guys to to come up with that transfer. But um, but I wouldn't expect him to play tonight based on the fact that we haven't seen him. Um, you know, Boudreaux was pretty clear. He said it wasn't COVID. He, you know, at one point told me that it was the flu. So I guess it's possible that it could be a really bad flu that's taking him some time to, to get over. Um, and, and that's sort of what, what I expect we're going to hear here. And, and at this point, you know, why would you rush him back into the lineup if he's, if he's still, you know, getting over that? Although clearly with the way the Canucks have played without him, they, they may desperately need him here, but you've got a back-to-back going into the holiday break. You know, if, if, you know, he really has been doing as poorly as, as we would expect for a player to miss this much time with a non-COVID illness, then, to me, I would say just let him have the few extra days over the holidays and, and look to get him back five days from now for the game on the 27th. But, I mean, would it be unprecedented that they let him take part in an optional morning skate? I'm expecting it to be optional. That's usually the way the organization operates when they've had a practice day uh, before a game day. You know, uh, he could take part. He could play tonight. But, you know, to this point, I haven't seen anything that indicates that he would. And, you know, they're going to need to find a way to to put forth a better effort without him because, you know, as, as much as the Canucks have had the Kraken's number since they came into the NHL, this isn't the same Seattle team they've played in the past. And it's a Seattle team that just handed, you know, losses to the two teams that came in beat the Canucks 5-1 at Rogers Arena in back-to-back games. So this is a test for them tonight. And in terms of what to expect from them, I, I'm, you know, I, I'm somewhat flummoxed as to as to what to expect from them on a nightly basis, much like <laughs> Bruce Boudreaux seems to be at times because there are games like the, you know, the, the game in Calgary or the games in Vegas and Colorado where they look like the team that people believe they can be and that they showed that they were for stretches last season. And then they also have games like they've had over the last two where, you know, they're essentially run out of the building. Batch, do you think these last two games for you, have they underlined perhaps in red ink, perhaps with a bunch of exclamation marks, just how important Patterson is to this team at the moment? Yeah, I th- I think they have, and you know you you can understand why, you know the the reports are out there that he's the only untouchable. When you see, and not that Pedersen would have single handedly been able to save either of those games because I think the performance from the team overall was was poor enough that one player isn't going to come in and change that. Maybe he gets an extra goal. Maybe he prevents an extra goal. So you're talking about 4-2 instead of 5-1 potentially. Um, but, you know, he he is such an important two-way presence for this team. He's so important on the power play in terms of producing. The Canucks have really struggled on the man advantage, you know, since he's gone out of the lineup and over the past couple of games, especially with, you know, Connor Garland on that top unit. And that's not to pin that entirely on Garland. But, uh, you know, when you have a, a, a player that can be a difference maker like Pedersen and he's not there, it's it's going to make a big change. But, you know, yeah, absolutely. He's he's a critical part of this team. He's one of the straws that stirs the drink. You could argue the lone straw that stirs the drink, although I would still advocate for Quinn Hughes in that regard. And, 
you know, it's a team that I think my biggest takeaway from the last two games is I'm gaining a better understanding of what JT Miller talks about when he says that, you know, the Canucks are, are naive or, you know, that, that they, they lack some sort of level of maturity because the Jets and the Blues are both teams with veteran players who have experience that pay attention to their details, and they came in and they were able to just smother the Canucks by the way that they played within their structure, and that's not something that we've seen Vancouver do with any consistent, you know, even when they win, they don't look like a team that absolutely smothers their opponent. And when they go up against clubs that have that experience, that have that veteran savvy, they they just aren't able to overcome teams that play with that level of structure. You know, you mentioned Quinn Hughes is another one of the the straws that stir the drink there. And he, look, he's putting up the points. I don't know if the two-way impact has been what we necessarily would have wanted to see from Quinn Hughes coming into the season. What's your read on where Hughes's game is at uh, right now, Badge? Yeah, well, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if he's playing through something um, based on at times he's missed practices or, or has taken the option yeah. when it's been an optional game day skate or, or whatever. So, you know, I, I think we maybe have to put it within the context that I'm not entirely sure that he's 100% healthy. But, you know, anytime you have a team that, you know, struggles as much defensively as this group does, no one should be safe in terms of criticism for the defensive play. And I think Hughes is a part of that when he's defending in zone. But that said, the value he brings in his transition ability in his ability to get the Canucks out of trouble in their own zone that is unlike anyone else on the team, you know, I can understand why you might want to criticize his defensive game to a certain extent, but what he does in terms of his ability to exit the zone cleanly, enter the attacking zone cleanly, make a smart outlet pass that allows the team to transition so they're not stuck defending. Um, that, that to me, is, is so valuable to this group right now because they don't really have many other guys that can do it with the consistency of Quinn Hughes. So, you know, it, has his in-zone defending been perfect? No, it hasn't. I think he's got room to grow in that regard, especially as an undersized defenseman. And, you know, you look at the last two teams that have come in, they've, they've got big forwards that will grind you on the forecheck. And, you know, that's not the kind of team that the Canucks have success against. And, you know, in-zone defending, it's not the kind of team that Quid Hughes is going to have a lot of success against. But I still look at everything he brings that they would lose if he wasn't here or wasn't in the lineup. And, uh, you know, I still think he's he's a gigantic net positive for this group, even if some of his defending in the defensive zone leaves something to be desired. Talking to Brendan Batchel, the voice of the Canucks here on Sportsnet 650. It's uh, Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drance filling in for Halford and Bruff. Uh, Niels Hoaglander going down to the AHL. He's already played a couple games with the Abbotsford Canucks. We'll see how long his tenure with Abbotsford lasts once the roster freeze lifts. But, you know, it is pretty striking, especially with Elias Pettersson. You look at the Canucks' forward lineup, and I, it's not exactly overflowing with with depth right now, right? You've got guys like Sheldon Dries and Lane Peterson playing. In light of that situation, what do you make of Niels Hoaglander going down to play some games with Abbotsford? Yeah, I hope it's a situation where, you know, they're just looking to get him some confidence, get him scoring some goals, feeling good about himself, and then 
we'll bring him back up once the roster freeze lifts. But uh, I'll be interested to to see if we get any indication as to what the thinking might have been here. Uh, because to me, when you look at some of those players that you mentioned that are playing you know, down the Canucks lineup in the NHL right now, they just don't have the, the offensive potential and the potential to change a game like Niels Hoaglander does. Now, you know, Hoaglander has not necessarily been that game-changing player this year, although I would argue that, you know, he's a player that you might want to put in some of those opportunities to change games a little more often. And it does seem like when, when Bruce Boudreaux wants to make a change in the lineup, it's often been Niels Hoaglander comes down the lineup or Niels Hoaglander goes out of the lineup. So it's clear that he doesn't have the trust of his head coach right now. And that could just be a part of it that, you know, organizationally they want him to get some minutes, want him to gain some confidence, want him to produce some offense. So you send him down to Abbotsford and and let that happen. But, you know, this is a player that I think, you know, based on, and I've heard you talk about this, Drancer, based on what he's been able to accomplish at the NHL level at his age, you know, there is a, a ton of untapped potential there. But are you going to tap that potential if you're playing him in situations in the NHL where he's not set up to succeed? You know, maybe you're not. Maybe Abbotsford is a better place for him to get some of those big minutes right now. But, you know, if you ask me who the the 12 best forwards are on the Canucks within their organization right now, and is Niels Hoaglander one of them, the answer is, you know, unequivocally yes. And so... You know, I, I think as much as it may be a, a, a good plan in the short term for Niels Hoaglander to go, go down to Abbotsford, I would hope that the plan is to get him back up and into the NHL lineup sooner rather than later. Batch, we're, we're entering today. The Canucks are down to 9% in terms of their playoff odds, 26th in the NHL by point percentage. Uh, of course, that 9% number comes from Dom LeCision, Ding, and... <laughs> And look, even even if you look at the standings, as my co-host Jamie Dodd likes to do, uh, eight points out, right? A couple games in hand, but eight points out and three teams between them and the Edmonton Oilers for the second wildcard spot. Where are your hopes? Where's your hope level, hopefulness level of a Canucks rally here on the other side of the Christmas break? Uh, I would say it's at about 9%, Drancer. Um, but like all, all kidding aside, <laughs> well, all kidding aside though, um, as much as, you know, I don't have a ton of belief that this team has the ability to go on a run like they did last year and get themselves back into that playoff conversation. I never want to discount Bruce Boudreaux again, because I thought this team was absolutely six feet under at this time last year or or maybe you know this time last year minus three weeks and then they went on that run that they did in December and you know legitimately put themselves back in the conversation down the stretch last year so you know as much as things look dire right now I know uh you know a good friend of ours who's no longer with us Jason Botchford always used to say life moves fast and life can move fast in the NHL in both directions both positively and negatively but you know, look at the body of work to this point. Look at the lack of consistency this group has played with. Look at the, you know, the the lack of strong defense that they've played with. You know, look at, you know, their their inability to to rise to the occasion in games that 
you know, would have allowed them to have big opportunities, right? They've had a couple of chances to climb above 500 uh, over the last few weeks. And every time they've been presented with that opportunity, they've laid a bit of an egg. And, you know, the fact that most of these disappointing performances are coming on home ice is something that's very concerning as well, because, you know, good teams in the NHL take advantage of their home ice, take advantage of the matchups, you know, use the crowd to their advantage. And it seems like, with the way the team has played, with how frustrated the fan base is right now, that the crowd and the atmosphere at Rogers Arena is hurting this group rather than helping it. And that's not me criticizing the fans. That's just a reality that when, you know, this team, and I think it was Bo Horvat, you know, said something the other night after the game. He said, essentially, you know, I wonder if we're afraid to be booed off the ice. When you're in that sort of headspace, it's going to be awfully hard to turn things around inside your own home rink. And if you can't win your games on home ice, you're not going to make the playoffs. A related question, I suppose, but perhaps poised, posed from the opposite scale, the opposite end of things. Mm -hmm. Uh, How intently will you be watching the world juniors when they begin (laughs) next week? Yeah, I, I'm a, I'm I love the World Juniors, so I'll I'll be watching them, you know, pretty closely when I get the opportunity. Obviously, it's you know with the Canucks actively playing while the World Juniors happen, it's not always possible for me to to track them and and watch every game. But uh, you know, especially the Swedish team with Pedersen and Lekkermaki and and sort of see what what those guys might be capable of. And you know, it's it's. You know, this is the the interesting thing about this organization, and it's been a frustrating thing for me as the play-by-play guy that, you know, the Canucks over the past few years have been more interesting off the ice than they are on it, and that Mm. is a trend that is going to continue over the next few months as we get closer to the trade deadline, as some of these situations resolve themselves, whether it's Horvat, whether it's Besser, you know, Garland, whoever else you think could potentially be on the move before we get into early March. And, you know, the the World Juniors kind of fall into that same conversation as well. I guess they are on the ice, but they're not on the NHL ice. And I, but, you know, for, for a fan base right now that especially of late hasn't had a lot to cheer for from the NHL team, I can understand why people would really want to be focused on the World Juniors and what might be coming through the Canucks pipeline in the years to come. Batch, always really appreciate the time, buddy. Have a great call tonight and uh, have a, a safe and happy holidays as well. Yep. Thanks, boys. Appreciate it. You too. That is Brendan Batchelor, voice of the Canucks here on Sportsnet 650. He didn't really take the Connor Bedard uh, bait there in your last que- <laughs> question to answer, uh, but uh, always how, enjoy getting how, Batch's how, insight. How very Vancouver of him. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> he skirted the why, Connor Bedard issue. Why, why, take the, uh, why take the bait that's right in front of you? <laughs> uh, we'll take a quick break here. Sean McIndoe, he's down goes Brown on Twitter, also uh, covers the NHL for The Athletic. We'll have a quick conversation with him, and then we'll get into your What We Learned submissions. Last chance to get your What We Learned submission in. Remember, include a ticket emoji for your chance to win tickets to the Canucks and the Sharks on December 27th. The best What We Learned will be the winner uh, of those tickets. More coming up on the other side. It's Halford and Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Thank you. 
Welcome back to Halford and Bruff here on Sportsnet 650. Final segment of the show. It's Jamie Dodd. It's Thomas Strands filling in for Halford and Bruff. We're going to connect momentarily here with Sean McIndoe from the Athletic NHL, also the co-host of the Puck Soup podcast. We'll do uh, 10 minutes or so with Sean, then we'll get into your What We Learned submissions. Still time to get them in. Hashtag WWL. The official automotive sponsor of Halford & Bruff is the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. And this hour of Halford & Bruff is brought to you by Campbell & Pound Real Estate Appraisers. Trust the expertise of Campbell & Pound. Visit Campbell-Pound.com today. And of course, we are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Now very pleased to be joined on the line. You follow him on Twitter, I'm sure, at Down Goes Brown. You read him at The Athletic. Hear him on the Puck Soup podcast. He is Sean McIndoe. Sean, thanks for making some time for us today. How are you? Hey, I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's our pleasure. And I I always love reading your stuff at The Athletic. You're a great kind of uh, curator of the weird and the bizarre and the wacky in the NHL. So I got to ask, are the Canucks the weirdest team in the NHL right now? That's a good question. You know what? They they'd be right up there. They they'd be right up there. There are other teams that are uh, maybe weirder in terms of uh, the unexpected results. I might put the Panthers up pretty high there. Uh, you know, the Kraken, the team I didn't expect to be as good. Vancouver might be the weirdest slash entertaining team yeah. out there. Assuming you're not a fan of them, that's that's the big caveat. If you've got no rooting interest and you're just sitting back with the big tub of popcorn in your lap, uh, I'm not sure anybody can beat the Canucks right now. Well, like, is it just the kind of thing where you know? Because we're so in it day to day here in the market. What is your typical reaction, kind of following the league as you do, reacting to Canucks news from afar when it happens over and over and over again, like it does with this team? Yeah, I mean, I got to be honest. Uh, one of my reactions that uh, that I have as an outsider uh, is, you know, I see these these the reactions happening in the market, and I'm not just talking the media. I'm talking the the fan base. You know, you you see highlights of a game. You see, okay, they blew this lead, or this happened, or this comment got made, or the you know, this is the latest thing that Jim Rutherford said, and you just sit there and go. Man, what what an absolute disaster. What a complete and total train wreck that team must be. And then you look at the standings and you're like, oh, they're like 500. They're not, they're not anywhere near as bad as I thought they were. I just kind of assumed, you know, we had a piece uh, just even today on The Athletic where they were talking about the who's going to wind up with Connor Bedard, who's going to finish dead last. And I'm looking through the piece going, oh, they're not mentioning the Canucks anywhere in here. And then i got to remind myself, oh, yeah, that's right. Canucks are closer to a playoff spot than they are to, to actual rock bottom, uh, which when you think of all the drama that seems to be coming out of there all the time, really makes you wonder, like, is there another level that we can actually get to on this uh, and, and really ramp up the entertainment value for all the rest of us? Sean, I'm sure you fondly remember, not quite like the Muskoka Five era, but just right after it, like the Sundin, Antropov, Ponikarovsky, Leafs. You know, it's uh-huh. like, yeah, they're, they're not in the mix for Bedard. But isn't that almost worse? And does it remind you a little bit of of, of like the Jason Blake era yeah. of Maple Leafs yeah. hockey? It's it's a hundred percent worse. And uh, it, it it that was the Brian Burke era for the Leafs was being stuck in that mushy middle, not quite good enough to make the playoffs, but never bad enough 
to get that top draft pick. Although in the case of the Leafs, when they were bad enough, it was they didn't have the draft pick because they had traded it away. But uh, yeah, no, right. absolutely. We've seen teams get stuck there, the Flames, for the longest time in the uh, kind of towards the end of the Jerome Ginla era were another mm. example of that. It, it's an awful place to be. I mean, nobody wants to be dead last. You, you know, it's 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 awful to root for a team that can't beat anybody. But at least you got that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. You, you know, you got that something to look forward to most years, and especially this year where it's you know one of the, the most loaded tops of a draft. If you were going to pick a year uh, to, uh, in the words of Brian Burke, be that 18-wheeler going off the cliff, this would be a great year to do it. So I think, you know, if you're a fan of Blackhawks, the Coyotes, the Ducks, it's a lousy year, but at least you understand what's going on. you got something to look forward to. If you're stuck in the middle, I mean, and, and it's one thing to be a team that's stuck in the middle, like you look at maybe a Detroit, maybe it put Ottawa in that group, uh, Buffalo maybe even, where you kind of say, okay, they're, they're, they're not stuck in the middle. They're making a trip through the middle on their way somewhere. I mean, this is the, we, we very rarely see a team do what the New Jersey Devils have done this year and go from being a lousy team right up to being a contender. Usually you've got to pass through the middle, but that's the key. You want to be passing through. You don't want to be staying there, uh, and you certainly don't want to be staying there if it feels like you're more likely to wind up closer to the bottom of the standings than the top. The Seattle Kraken have never defeated the Vancouver Canucks in, in five tries, uh, in regular season action, they play tonight. Um, if they like, if this Kraken team fails to win a game against Vancouver now, considering they're what ten points clear of them in the standings, materially better in just about every respect. Uh, at, at what point does it become something that you'll look at as as an oddity, like one of those mental block things? How many more games do the Kraken need to drop to the Canucks before it's a thing? That's an interesting one. I hadn't, I wasn't actually aware of that. So I, we're we're probably getting there. I mean, maybe right off that first season, you figure your expansion team. You're, there's probably going to be a few teams that you don't beat. But uh, now that the the Kraken are uh, actually looking like a legitimately decent team, I I feel like we need a couple more. Um, but uh, you know, I'll, I'll I'll give that to you. I know Vancouver. You gotta you gotta grab it whatever you can get these days. So <laughs> dig uh, deep. Maybe I'll maybe I'll give you the uh, the curse of the Seattle Kraken. Uh, that's uh, because man, that 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 can't be that can't be a fun matchup to be to be looking at where you're sitting there. You know, it's um, it's one thing to say, hey, you know, maybe maybe this isn't our year, but hey, you know, there's lots of teams. It's not their year. But then you see a team come in that didn't exist two years ago and you go, man, are, have these guys already passed us? That's, that's a rough one. That's got to be tough to take. Sean, uh, the, the Leafs played a fantastic game against the Tampa Bay Lightning. And look, I know it's the, the regular season and we've all heard over and over, hey, it doesn't matter what the Leafs do in the regular season. It matters what they do in the playoffs. Where is your level of confidence about the Leafs being able to transfer what they're doing right now in the regular season to the playoffs this year? I mean, the, the confidence level is, it's not high, and that's not a knock on the Leafs. Sure. Uh, I mean, this is, this is a team that not only is it a good team in the sense of the record and in the sense of who they're, who they're beating, um, but if, if people aren't watching the Leafs, if they're only just kind of, kind of aware of them, uh, which you know, obviously you, you can't avoid, uh, you might not realize this is a team that really is kind of playing that defensive style that we've been saying for years they need to play. I mean, that's always been the knock on the Leafs, right? Bunch of high-scoring glory boys, 
go out there. Yeah, they'll beat you 7-1 in the regular season, but we all know that doesn't play in the postseason. You've got to be able to play defense. You've got to be able to protect leads, all of this stuff. Um, Sheldon Keith's got this team doing that. This is not a high-scoring team right now. In fact, it's, it, it's been a little bit frustrating watching them not score as much as the roster would seem to indicate that they should. Uh, but the goaltending's been good. The defense has been quite good, especially given all of the injuries and given you know the guys that uh, that they've been missing in that lineup. Um, Sheldon keeps got them playing a system. He's got them playing, frankly, a little bit boring sometimes. And, and in theory, that should translate pretty well to the playoffs. And when you see them uh, it kind of exert their will on a team as good as Tampa, that's that's a nice, uh, you know, it's a nice confidence builder uh, under normal circumstances. But this is the Leafs. It's not normal circumstances. Six years in a row, losing a uh, uh, deciding game in the in the playoffs. Uh, it's it's the confidence isn't going to be there until we see it. And even then, you know, it, until they win that game seven, and even then, we're all going to be sitting around for about an hour, going, "Is you know, is there going to be a replay review? Is there going to be something that's going to bring this back?" <laughs> until we finally believe it. And look, the the reality is, they are a real good team, but they're stuck in a division. With Boston, who's who's well ahead of them right now, so you figure, okay, we're we're probably looking at another one of those second and third matchups. Who's it going to be? It's probably going to be Tampa again, and uh, we know how that turned out last year. And and look, at least gave Tampa everything they could handle last year, but they couldn't give them any more than that. And so uh, we're all just kind of sitting around waiting for either the bubble to finally burst, and uh, you know, and and this team, you know, maybe really at that point can go on a roll. Or it's uh, you know just the, the same old sequel we've already seen five times. Sean, really appreciate the time. Uh, have a safe and happy holidays. I will. Yeah, you guys too. That is Sean McIno. Uh, Down goes Brown on Twitter. Also writes and does the uh, Athletic NHL podcasts as well. Joining us here on the show. All right, no delay anymore. We're not even going to do our what we learns. I'm not even going to throw for an intro that doesn't exist. But we will do the dot matrix <laughs> printer, right? Yeah, there we go. There we go. We did miss out on the uh, the crusty drop, which always makes me laugh. But that's all right. We'll get it in tomorrow. It is time for what we learned, and we will start with our winner today. Mano and Chilliwack texts in, hashtag what we learned. The morning show has less structure than the Canucks right now. <laughs> Tough but fair. <laughs> Tough but Tough fair. But fair. We're starting, starting late. We're not playing a full 60. Only doing giving you two good periods. Trance is in and out. It is tough, but fair. But hey, we're making it work. We're 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 persevering. We're staying positive, like Bruce Boudreaux would want us to do. Um, this one comes in from Surrey Ryan. He says, hashtag what we learned. It hurts me to say, but clearly, clearly a rejuvenated Boston is winning the cup this season. They may lose a game or two in a series, but does anyone see that offensively stacked and defensively sound team losing four of seven? Uh, not to to trigger you too much, but in a short playoff series, anything truly can happen, right? In one playoff series, Drancer, in one, in one playoff, but they're series, among the teams that can win for sure. I mean, they. I don't. I don't think people are quite talking enough about how good they've been this season, right? Like they have been. We've talked a lot about wow, New Jersey having this resurgent season, and you know, at the bottom end of the standings, we've talked about just how incredibly awful Anaheim is. But you look at the stats and the numbers for Boston right now; it, like they're first in points percentage by a mile in the league. They're first in goal differential by a mile. As the texter said, they're elite offensively. They're elite de- defensively. Look, you, you you're not going to award the cup. 
it's it's still the NHL playoffs. It's still the Stanley Cup playoffs. Random things happen, but I do. I think it's actually a below the radar story right now. Just how good the Boston Bruins have been so far this season. Yeah, and we're definitely going to get into the pre-playoff. Like he's been great this season. He might win the Vesna, but can Linus Allmark carry sure. them in the playoffs? Like, <clears throat> I mean, at the end of the day, the Avs just won a playoff or a Stanley Cup with 900 goaltending. You know, I mean, it's it's very much it, Linus Olmark doesn't need to be this for this team to be a real threat. They are pretty clearly one of the five best teams in hockey. And, you know, there's going to be seven or eight teams with a chance at the cup this year. We're going to know who those teams are after the deadline. I think we already have a pretty decent idea of which teams they are, um, you know, and, and it's really what the, the teams with the five best records and, and probably Colorado and, and, and for me, Calgary. Right. Like, that's it. That's it. Those are that's going to be the group this year from whom the cup winner will emerge. And of those teams, Boston, clearly the number one favorite at this juncture. Uh, Frank Cervelli, when he was on before you joined the show, he brought up Boston as I don't know if it's a dark horse, but at least as a, a candidate in the Bo Horvat sweepstakes. And from Frank's point of view, the thing is, one, they could use him for a deep playoff run this year. But and then also they have a lot of uncertainty at their center position beyond this season with Patrice Bergeron and David Krejci both uh, being UFAs this year. And obviously, you know, we don't know if they'll not, not that they're going to sign elsewhere, but if they're if they will even be playing in the NHL, are you buying or selling Boston as a potential Bo Horvat destination? Yeah, I, I mean, I can see it. I, I just don't want to. <laughs> like, like there, there's something that leaves an acrid taste in my mouth. Like, there's something about the idea of Bo Horvat wearing the spoked B that, you know, I find deeply upsetting. It's funny because... It makes I, it even worse if he w- wins a cup, right, Rancer? Oh, my goodness. Watching him lift the cup as a Bruin? Can you imagine? Oh, I'd, I'd still be happy for Bo. Oh, I think a lot of people would be, but it would be a deeply bittersweet sensation, right? And you know, to say the would, least. Would you would you, would you have a tougher time watching Bo Horvat raise the Stanley Cup as a Boston Bruin or Chris Tanev as a Calgary Flame? Oh, Horvat as a Bruin Horvat for, for me, sure. no question, no, not even close. The Flames, okay. like, I get it's a rivalry, but it doesn't have that one moment of like peak devastating heartbreak, right? They don't mm. seem they're not as villainous in my mind. Like it's just it's a rivalry. It's because it's a geographical rivalry. You know what I mean? But it's not like oh my gosh. No. They they. It, cr- I mean, it was a real rivalry though back back when uh, you know uh, Martin Jelena put sure. that goal past Alex Ald. Like that back in those days, the Flames were like villain number one. It's just I think the Cup final was such a traumatic it was. moment for this fan base that. You know, realistically, the Bruins trump all from a rivalry perspective. And it's funny because Frank laid it out, right? And my immediate reaction was, you know, you make a lot of sense, but I think probably a lot of people are cringing at their radio at the thought of it right now. And he was like, wait, still? You guys aren't over that yet? And I was like, oh, man, you don't even know. You don't know the half of it. You don't know the half of it, Frank. <laughs> no, how little not even we, close. How, how little we are well, over it right now. H- how could the market get over it when it doesn't feel like the organization has? Yeah. Ah, indeed. Um, what we learned, Table Saw James says, wait, if a 5-1 Canucks loss pays out 44-1, to what does a 5-1 Canucks win pay out? Get me some of that action. So you missed this as well, Drancer. I was talking about uh, the matchup with the Kraken tonight off the top of the show, and a bunch of people immediately texted in, oh, it's going to be a 5-1 loss. And I went to playnow.com, of course, and looked up, and you know they give exact scoreline odds 
uh, 5-1 for the Seattle Kraken. It was 44-1 to when I looked off the top of the show. I, I said, you know, hey, if you're going to place the, place that bet, take a screenshot of your ticket and send it in. A couple of people have done so. It's now 43 to 1. So we're we're bringing it down. We're, we're bringing you're, the odds you're, down. You're moving the we're, odds. We're moving wow. the line there. It's now 43 the power. to 1. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the power of the morning show. My exactly, goodness. Yeah. A big rush on 5-1 uh, tickets at playdown.com. So it's 43-1 to for a Kraken 5-1 win. It is 60-1 to for a Canucks 5-1 win. So and, there you go. And what's the money line? What's the money line? How, the money how line, significantly are the Kraken favorite not tonight? Not much. The Kraken are minus 130. The Canucks are plus 110. Okay. So, yeah, that's very, uh, very close to a pick em. Uh, which is probably right. You know, I, I really wonder if this is if this Kraken can't beat the Canucks thing is going to be a thing. Uh, I, I suspect it might be. There's just something about the way that these te- two teams played. The, the, like the Canucks were so roundly outplayed when they won their first game of the year in Seattle. I, I you know, that that template to me feels like it, it weighty. Like it feels like something that could be recreated again tonight where the Kraken might be in for one of those games you lose no matter how good you play. Yeah, I mean, I will say this is a golden opportunity, though, for the Kraken. If, as Batch said, and I I agree with him, if we don't see Elias Pettersson tonight, like, this is the time. This is the game to get that monkey off your back if you're the Seattle Kraken, right? Like, without – I know it's on the road, but the Canucks don't have far and away their best player. We've seen what that looks like. I think you got to strike while the iron is hot. Not that they're going to be like psyching themselves up. I don't think to get the first win no. against the Canucks. It's not on their minds, but from a fan oh, perspective, I think it is. you think it is? I think it is. Oh yeah, oh yeah. It was last time. I think it was uh, very much on the minds of of people in and around the organization when the Canucks visited Seattle in late October. I, I'd imagine no different today, particularly given the success that they've been able to have and sustain in the early portion of this season. So I would imagine that it's, you know, is it front of mind? Probably not. Sure. But is, but is it there somewhere swimming in the ether? Oh, yeah. It's in the Kraken zeitgeist tonight for sure. I have a what we learned from uh, that I got from Joey Kenwood, our colleague here, and it's also an early ask us anything for both of you guys, Drancer especially. So I'll start with Joey's tweet. On this day 27 years ago, Alex McGilney, my all-time favorite player, set Canucks record for the, fa- the Canucks record for the fastest hat trick in franchise mm. history. McGilney scored three times in the third period, 255 apart. He scored his three goals against the Anaheim Mighty Ducks. Now, my question for you gentlemen, early ask us anything, which of course is tomorrow, is this upcoming Hall of Fame, the, the Hall of Fame induct, induction ceremony, yes. is this finally the one where we see McGillney inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame? Because it's, it's long overdue, in my opinion. I'm going to say no, just because if they haven't done it yet, I, it doesn't seem like there's this groundswell of, of movement for them to do it. It should be. He should have been in long ago, but I just I don't see any reason that this year is going to be the year that they finally break the trend. Your answer? Uh, I'm just trying to think through it. I think it's, I like, I think, I think there's a chance that he gets in for sure. And there's not this overwhelming class of 2023 draft eligibles who need to be first ballot guys. Henrik Lundqvist sort of is the headliner, like the for sure guy who needs to go in on the first ballot in 2023. But the other new eligibles, you know, you're really looking at, I mean, is Brent Seabrook a Hockey Hall of Famer? 
Justin Williams. You yeah. know, like, I, I don't know that there's, like, it feels like if there's a year to go in, 2023 might be it. Because, again, outside of Lundqvist, I, I just don't see the overwhelming, like, obvious guy who needs to go in on the first ballot. Um, so, you know, I, I think the, I, I mean, the next year, I guess, like, there's a couple guys who are first ballot guys to me. The next year, even though they're not quite officially retired, like, it, it, Datsuk would sure. be an example. Um, you know, but yeah, I mean, I, I think we're... I think really it's this next two-year window where he's got to go in because then we're getting into Getzlaff and Chara, Duncan Keith, right? Like Eric Stahl, like it's going to get busy again on the other side of the um, of sort of the next year and a half. So if it's going to happen, it's got to happen now. It should happen. So I'm going to go with yes. I say yes. McGillney gets in 2023. There you go. Uh, John in Canby Village says, what we learned, Jamie doesn't know the market. The Joel Otto goal was a peak heartbreak moment. Uh, and the Jelena goal was also a peak heartbreak moment. Know your history. Somebody else texted in about the Joel Otto goal as well. Look, that was 1989. I was three years old. So it's a little bit before my time. And look, yeah, the Jelena goal, that's brutal. That's a bad moment. It was also the first round. It doesn't hold a candle to the 2011 Stanley Cup Finals for me. I like I was a huge fan. Don't get me wrong. It's a really bad moment, but it's not even in the same league, a first-round loss, uh, as what happened against I, the Boston Bruins. I honestly think Canucks fans right now dislike the Oilers more. Which wasn't true 10 years ago, but right now I feel like the Oilers... Like, that's who... Yeah. I, I don't know. I think because the Oilers are probably seen as better. No. See, I don't know, though, because I think the Flames thing did get a bit of new life with the Tanev and Markstrom and Toffoli stuff, right? Right. I, yeah, I think that breathed new life into it. And, the you know, the Flames, the our guys and all that. So but I no do one still hates, think it's Calgary. No one hates those guys. No, but you can hate the franchise for having, you know, quote unquote, stolen them, right? Yeah, you don't, you don't, I, I don't think you hold it against Tanev and Markstrom, but you're like, oh, it drives me nuts that they're on the flames. And again, I'm not well, saying, I'm not saying that the, there haven't been, that it's not a rivalry, that there haven't been bad moments. I just think it is like the 2011 Stanley Cup final is so far and away the most traumatic thing, at least in my fandom as a Canucks fan. And I think for a lot of other people, I'm not downplaying what happened uh, between them and the flames. It's just, it's not in the same, it's not in the same universe as the, as 2011 for me. No, you're, and I think that's fair. There's no, there definitely isn't like whole accounts whose personality is hating the flames <laughs> in on Canucks Twitter, for example, the way there still is. Yes, with Boston. the way people are still driven, <laughs> driven to uh, extreme, extreme anger. Um, six fifty, six fifty, Dunbar Lumber text line. Final moments to get uh, your thoughts in. This one comes in unsigned. What we learned is Drancer is having the best holiday ever in Ontario. A lesson never to travel during the holidays. I know you're Seriously. on board with that. Uh, you're, he's, preaching, send, he's preaching to the choir, right? I'm sending that. Uh, I'm sending that text into the Dunbar Lumber in, inbox to my wife directly. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> A little bit of help there. Uh, that's going to do it for us. We will be back tomorrow. Final show. Halford and Bruff, uh, Dodd and Drancer filling in for the week. Enjoy the game tonight. Again, we'll be back on the air tomorrow. It is Sportsnet 650.